Hey everybody, welcome to Animates. I'm Paige. And I'm Chris. And today we are going to be discussing the early 2000s Cartoon Network classic, Samurai Jack. But before we begin, uh, I, we, would like to take a moment to say uh, thank you for poking your head back in with us. It's been a while, and the reason that it's been a while is that big life things have happened for both of us. Uh, yes, as we mentioned uh, prior to, you know, dropping off the face of the earth, uh, I got married in May. And uh, Chris was my man of honor, so we both had uh, some big stuff going on with that. And then I went on a lengthy, well, not lengthy, I went on like a two-week honeymoon in Europe. So that definitely took up a lot of time on my end. Yes, famously weddings require a lot of effort and a lot of planning and a lot of time. So that leaves very little time. It broke for... my brain. <laughs> yeah, it leaves very little time for, for much else uh, intellectually. And uh, as for me, I, I moved. Moving is a, you know, it's a lot. It's a big deal. It's a lot of effort. Um, also, uh, I will be losing my job in May. So that's fun. Um, you just been coping through no fault of his own. His uh, my college, his, col his 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 employer no longer exists. Yeah, my college is closing, so unfortunately, mm -hmm. it is what it is, and I have no control over it. But I was depressed for like a solid month, and just didn't really want to mm -hmm. do anything. So it was the wedding in May, me losing my job in June, and then the move, my move in July. So um. We just didn't have, we just couldn't do the show. So that we, we have been trying to get through Samurai Jack. We're going to talk about it today. And the nature of this show is also part of the reason for the delay. Because the show pretty much demanded to be watched almost in its entirety. And that is not something that we usually have had to do for shows that are like 70 episodes or something. So it, it was a lot. Yeah, it also, um, like, it's really hard to watch it while you do other things. Uh, you know, I work from home part of the time, so I often am able to just watch the shows we're watching while I'm working. Um, even something like Adventure Time, like, most of it you can just kind of let wash over you and still pick it up. But Samurai Jack is so visual, and the dialogue is so sparse that it be it's challenge it kind of demands like a minimum of 90% of your attention and it's difficult to you know part of my delay what well, i eventually just had to be like bucket and watch it all over the course of one friday and saturday and i was working on the friday because I was finding myself watching like maybe one episode a day because I was like, I have to sit down like after dinner and before, you know, I go get ready for bed and like focus entirely on this episode. And it was just like making it take forever. I think that that is a very good intro to this show, actually, is that it demands to be viewed. And that's it. Especially now, I feel like as Paige and I have admitted, I think more than once, that a lot of times one of the ways that we watch so much content in, a, in addition to like our work and our other leisure activities and partners and all this other stuff is that 
you multitask you can put an episode of spongebob on when uh you're playing uh, a video game that also doesn't require your full attention and that sucks but we wouldn't be able to get through content <laughs> we would be even slower S- samurai jack is not that kind of show like at its core and we'll discuss mm-hmm. the reasons why Yeah, definitely. That's also why we don't do we haven't done as much like anime historically. Yeah, anime. You know, because I think both of us are are pretty pretty aggressively subs people. <laughs> yes. And I well, I mean, it it very much depends, but like yes, a lot of anime I will watch subbed because I think Japanese voice actors have yeah. historically done a much better job with inflection and 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 voice acting in the medium that they're in. I think that is slowly becoming not quite as I mean, I, I dubs have been pretty good for a while now. Yeah, but I yeah, I think- yeah, I mean, historically when when dubs were produced they paid the voice actors with monopoly money and so it wasn't you know very good quality (laughs) yeah and you still had great voice actors like anybody from the mid-2000s like listening to voice actors from that era there are like a couple people that you'll recognize but ultimately i think that Mm -hmm. that's one of those things that has gotten a lot better as time has gone on but uh, anyway, Samurai Jack is here. what we're here to talk about. Yes, definitely. So uh, Samurai Jack was uh, created and um, largely also, you know, produced, frequently directed by Gendy Tartakovsky, uh, who is the creator and showrunner of Dexter's Lab and was also, I um, can't remember what he was, if he was creative director or animation director something important on uh powerpuff girls so he already had a pretty well established reputation within cartoon network at the time that uh samurai jack first began running um this which by the way (laughs) uh It it began, I'm sorry, I'm trying to double check the year that it began running because weirdly, like I want to say 2001, but that might be wrong. And it's weird. Yes, it's 2001. It began running in 2001. Its original run was 2001 to 2004. And then the revival took place in 2017. Yeah, Gendy Tartakovsky Goat, who we've talked about lineages and whatever on uh this show before because he he did all right so i will start by saying because i'm meandering that after watching the show you may go how did this air on cartoon network in 2001 how did this show ostensibly made for children and it very much in my opinion is really not for children get made on cartoon network and part of the reason was because gendy tartakovsky made an initial show that was quite successful that was very sort of um 
how do I say, definitely for children. It wasn't pushing the envelope, you know? It's like, it was a great show and everything, but it wasn't trying to, like, expand the horizons of the art form or anything like that. Honestly, based on the other things that he's gone on to do with his career, it seems like Dexter's Lab was, like, the most throwaway idea he had that he had when he was like 22 it almost seems like maybe he was like there's no evidence of this but it almost seems like maybe he was pitching something like samurai jack which he said he you know had wanted to do since he was a child and they were like nah and he was like okay well i guess i have this other idea about like a tiny kid with a weird accent who's an evil scientist part of the comparison that i draw is for any of you who like i don't care what your opinion about seth MacFarlane is but I recalled that it's been established that American Dad is the show he originally wanted to do, but everybody knows that the first show that made him famous was Family Guy. And this, ha- I feel like this happens with creatives where, like, an initial project that's lower on their priority list gets them clout, and then they can go on to do other things that they want to do. And it kind of feels like Dexter's Lab and Samurai Jack were were that for him. We ha- obviously have no direct primary sources for this, but it f- it definitely seems that way to me. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like how like Ryan Reynolds agreed to do Green Lantern because essentially the studio blackmailed him by saying like if you don't agree to do this, you will never get a Deadpool movie made. And he was trying to get Deadpool made for like 20 years. So, you know, it's that's a thing. That's absolutely a thing that happens in um, in the industry, whether it be animation, live action, whatever. It's, you know, sometimes, especially if you're young and starting off your career, they're less likely to take an idea that's a little out there from you. And if you do something a little more, you know, um, a little more cut and dried, they're more likely to uh, take a risk on you after that to, you know, like, okay, now you can do your, your, uh, your, your weird idea. (laughs) It's too bad that that has to happen. But I guess in the sense that like, it's, it's hard now to say, oh, well, companies should just take a chance. But like, if you honestly, if you had come to me, and said, oh, we want to make Samurai Jack before, like, this new dude wants to make this show where basically nobody talks and it's mostly action or visual storytelling and it's not funny. Like, Samurai Jack has funny moments, but it's not a comedy. I would be like, hmm, that sounds like a really big risk. So I kind of understand, like why that is and i mean to be honest we've seen the reverse happen post like 2010 like it's been well established that there was like a lot of free money basically once streaming started getting popular and the like entertainment had like a glut of budgets compared to like the previous two decades and so, like, people started I mean, taking... You know, would, um... What's-her-face? Um, who wrote, um, Nimona, and she did, uh... She did she You know, would she have benefited 
from being made to um, spend more time working on other people's projects or like do something a little less um, grandiose, you know, to 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 prove her chops, to build up her skills before going on and doing Shira because she was trying to do something really big with it. And instead it was kind of flat and meandering. Yeah. Like Rebecca Sugar is a good example. Would I have wanted Steven Universe to be her first, their first project? I don't actually think I would, to be honest. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's really worth noting that all of the people that were so like young and vibrant that Cartoon Network famously took risks on, um, in in the 2010s, they had already held important roles on other successful shows before then to show their chops, right? They they took a risk on Pendleton Ward and uh, um, J.G. Quintel, but they had... J.G. Quintel had been creative director of Flapjack when he was still in college. You know, um, the, the, he, uh, like... Pendleton Ward had held an important role on that. Rebecca Sugar had done a lot of really big stuff with um, uh, Adventure Time for years. So it's not like these people were just coming straight out of straight out of college without any experience in the industry. And they're like, yep, here's unlimited money to like do your weird idea and be in charge of it. You know, they had. They had it was a it was a well assessed risk that they took. Yeah, and I would never want to say that people had unlimited money, but budgets were definitely a little purse strings were looser. Um, for uh, I think this is more like a streaming service thing, but it yeah, it's interesting to think about how Samurai Jack post hoc. I wish it would have been the thing that all of his efforts had gone to, but I understand in retrospect why it's it's not bad to make people prove themselves a little bit before giving them a show like a whole show to do yeah absolutely there's nothing there's a i think i think also us thinking that has to do with the fact that we're both in our 30s now and we're like well you know (laughs) experience isn't bad right (laughs) yeah the the 20s are your your 20s are where you're starting to feel like you should have more control and respect but the reality is is that in your mid 20s you're still in your mid 20s you haven't you haven't earned it there's a degree to which you do need to like earn it you know you got to prove yourself but samurai jack is 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 here thankfully right and and tartakovsky has gone on to do other stuff um i we have not yet watched primal which is his current project but all indications suggest that primal is kind of like a distillation of a lot of really good things from samurai jack that uh, we'll we'll kind of talk about because he definitely has like a very distinct style of of making shows. He tells certain stories with very common reoccurring themes and uses very distinct shot styles, layouts, 
ways of doing dialogue, that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So just like me, let me quickly lay out the sort of specs for this show. Um, so we already talked about its original run. Um, each of the original four seasons was 13 episodes each. They were 22 minute episodes, not the uh, 11 minute episodes that we find so commonly in animation. Uh, and the fifth season was 10 episodes. It's considered a mini series, and that aired as an Adult Swim property rather than on Cartoon Network. Um, so, in addition to it being created and largely directed by Gendy Tartakovsky, uh, there also were a variety of other uh, directors who served on it, particularly Rob Renzetti, who we see show up again and again and again and again. Um, we've talked about him. He's, you know, a uh, really, really experienced director. He created my life as a teenage robot, but really he's more known for directing on other people's stuff and doing a great job with that. Um, well, there are only really. Sorry, go on. I, I feel sorry to interrupt. I just feel like we there. The show had really good directors. Chris Savino yeah. is another person we've seen show up a number of times, uh, as well as Randy Myers. So they have all mm -hmm. been directors on other shows that are well known. We haven't gotten to Ren and Stimpy, but like Savino worked on Ren and Stimpy and Dexter's Lab and the Powerpuff Girls. So we. Yeah. Even Robert Alvarez is like an old, old, like old industry person. Like he he graduated from CalArts before it was CalArts. He graduated from the. Chouinard Institute in 1971. He was an assistant animator on Yellow Submarine. <laughs> you know, like he is like an old industry guy who like um is still working at 75. Um and who he's won six primetime Emmys as an animator. Uh and so he like really knows what he's doing. So like having him involved is is pretty cool. Voice talent. Voice talent is... Okay, so this is something that I forgot. Um, I'm a Futurama fan, so I'm used to hearing Phil Lamar's voice. And I mean, Phil Lamar has done a ton of stuff. Like, Who, who is Phil Lamar in Futurama? Uh, he... Isn't he Hermes? I'm pretty sure oh, is he's he? Hermes. Okay. All right, all right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm right. I'm I was like, Chris, you're starting to doubt yourself. Don't doubt your no. He's definitely <laughs> no. he's he's Hermes on Futurama, but he okay. like total goat prolific. So he voices Jack. Uh mm -hmm. which is it it in okay, so it's interesting in retrospect because at the time people weren't really talking about like casting white people in Asian roles, for example. Like, Samurai yes. Jack is obviously coded as being Japanese. Uh, He's explicitly Japanese, not even coded. So, it... I wonder... It would be interesting to hear what people would have to say about a, a black American voicing a Japanese character. I, I don't necessarily feel one way or another about that, but I just thought about yeah, that the other day. Yeah, I thought about that too when I was watching it because that's the thing is like, 
the argument can be made that it's still easier. Like it's not easy. It's still there's a lot of discrimination, but that it's still easier for an American black man to get a leading role than it is for an Asian man in America. You can make that argument, um, you know, but at the same time, it feels weird. Like it feels weird. Like when it's a white person, you can be like, oh, you're taking a potential job from like a person of color. But when it's another person of color, I don't know, especially because I'm white. So who knows? But I did think about that. I was like, what should I think about that? But um, I do think that Phil Lamar did a really masterful job of giving Jack a Japanese accent, but like so subtly, because you can very easily with that, especially if you are not yourself an Asian person, get accidentally really racist really fast. Yeah, I I definitely he does a great job and it was more something that I I I I noted and was like, well, I'll I'll revisit this thought later, but I definitely don't think it's one of those things that I was like, oh, that's that makes me feel awful. Um no, it's just one of those things where it's like, well, in the modern world, like, it, you know, it's sort of it hints at a conversation that people are having, but it doesn't fit into it neatly. So you're like, I don't know. I don't know if this is good or bad or neutral or what it is. Yeah. But mm-hmm. on the other end, we do have a very famous, very. Uh, we've had them extremely on- Japanese <laughs> Mako voices aku the master of dark the shapeshifter mass shapeshifting master of darkness yes the late great mako who um listeners of this show will recognize as the original voice of uncle iroh um he did an incredible job seasons one through four uh he sadly passed away in 2006 and so for season five ultimately apparently they auditioned several people but ultimately they ended up hiring greg baldwin who uh replaced mako as uncle iroh and so he does you can tell it's not the same person but he does a good job of sort of preserving the flavor that Mako brought to the character without sort of doing an impression. Yeah, it doesn't feel I that's a really good that's a very interesting needle to have to thread is to not sound like you're mimicking somebody but to also evoke the same thing. Yeah, just sound like them without sounding like them basically. It's like sound like them but you know if you do it too much in a certain way it's gonna sound like a parody so like don't do that yeah 100 percent. so the thing about the cast is that it's very sparse because it's jack and aku are the most recurring characters but i do want to say that there are a couple of like recurring characters that do show up gray delisle voices a number of characters in the show periodically as like side characters or one-offs um fucking oh my god i know his name Uh, john dimaggio voices the scotsman yeah voices the scotsman um uh tara strong shows up tara strong has is the 
the third main character that appears in season five. Tara Strong voices her. The there's a dude who voices a bunch of characters in the Powerpuff Girls and Dexter's Lab and um, in Samurai Jack. I I he he does a bunch of stuff and he's in there. We've mentioned him before. Uh, I know you're not thinking of Tom Kenny, but Tom Kenny's in there, too. Tom Kenny's in here. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, it would be easier to list the things he's not a part of than the things he is a part of at this point. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, yeah, the the cast changes every episode. So you get a lot of side character work, basically. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of moments in Samurai Jack where it's like there are voice actors whose voices I definitely recognize, but I don't like know who they are. And there's that definitely appears here where it's like, oh, that guy like there is a man. I I have looked him up and I can never remember who he is, but he is a black man with like a deep rumbly voice and he's the voice of Sheriff Blubs. Um, And whenever I hear him, I'm like him. And he's in this, too. But I can never remember his name. <laughs> I for, for some reason, I don't know why this reminds me of that episode that made you go, I think this episode is racist against white people. <laughs> 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 yeah, I specifically said, like, because uh, he did the voice. He did a voice in that episode, actually, is what it is. Yeah, yeah he it's, did. It, like it, it made me say, like, this this episode is kind of pushing the limits of the theory that you can't be racist against white people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, good, good, solid voice acting talent. Uh, as we typically have. But yeah, other than that, there's not a ton of cast to talk about. No, definitely not. Um, It's mostly just Jack and Aku with a few, you know, recurring characters that are voiced by, you know, very famous, well-known people. Um, And I think part of the reason for that is that it is a show that is not particularly focused on dialogue it's extremely extremely visual um and that's where the influences really shine through um he specifically said that he was uh inspired by the 1970s tv show kung fu with david carradine that's a show that no one our age knows what it is but if your parents were ever like young grasshopper it comes from that show um, so it was clearly very famous at the time. And he was also influenced by uh, Frank Miller's comic, uh, Ronan, as well as a bunch of classic sort of Hollywood uh, period uh, uh, action movies like Ben-Hur. And of course, very, very obviously, even though strangely, it's like not as explicit in in discussions of it. Samurai films in general and Akira Kurosawa specifically. Yeah, it's weird to me that in talking about it, that seems like an afternote. Whereas like, I'm like, no, that was the first thing that I thought of. Yeah, same. It's so weird. It's 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 interesting because it shows. um, 
a real Western bias of the people that are writing about this because it's like you can look at it and say, oh, this looks just like a Western. But the thing is, all the Westerns look just like samurai movies. Um, all of like American Westerns are entirely like basically just taken whole cloth from uh, the very popular Japanese sort of like samurai and ronin genre that preceded it like a decade before. I think to some extent it might there's a charitable way to read that and there's an uncharitable way to read it. Um, both <laughs> are probably true. But I, the charitable way to read that is is that I think to people who are unaware of Japanese cinema, it is hard unless you're taking like fucking film classes or art history mm-hmm. you aren't being sat down to look at the ways that especially like Kurosawa's work percolated through other creatives and so you've got like yes. different uh you got like two or three degrees of separation from like one of his films like Rashomon and then like a Western or like Gandhi Tartakovsky. Yeah, fucking Star Wars, you Sarah know. <laughs> Jack. Yeah. So like unless a creator yeah. in the Western canon has specifically stated Kurosawa was an inspiration, I wouldn't be surprised if people just like wouldn't be made aware of that. Yeah. So just like in brief, um, because I think it's important to like fully understand the context of this show. Um, the Samurai movie was something that appeared in post-war Japan um, when uh, like, so we, you know, occupied Japan, but also like brought a whole bunch of fucking technology over there that they weren't yet like, they didn't yet have the productive capacity to create themselves at the time, right? So their uh, film industry, like, really blossomed um, in the post-war period. And so in the 1950s, you have this big genre of the samurai film, and the most famous and beloved of those directors was Akira Kurosawa, and they were most frequently really about ronin so lone samurai who had no master and who sort of like they wandered the countryside and you know they followed the code the code of bushido and they like helped people and they got into really cool sword fights and you know stuff like they always had on like crazy hats (laughs) right and stuff like that and so then in the 1960s in america that was um reimagined as the western as the cowboy movie because in real life cowboys were literally just people who like had a job moving cattle around but in the american western a cowboy is sort of like a lone uh, hero like wandering the countryside and with you know this sort of unwavering moral code who like helps people and there's the white hat back hat black hat and I can't remember the name of the um, American movie, but one very, very famous Western is literally a remake of Seven Samurai. Like, it's called, like, Seven Cowboys or something like that. Like, it's literally a remake of Seven Samurai explicitly. 
So like the American Western doesn't actually exist without Japanese samurai movies. And Samurai Jack is very, very much of that format, but they put him in like a dystopian setting instead of like a like an Edo era Japanese setting. Yeah. So in terms of structure, I think that that is a very easy direct comparison. I remember I as a kid, I didn't know this, but as an adult coming back to watch the show, once the first two episodes are done and it's starting on him uh, wandering the first episode, like episode three, I was like, oh, wait, this is just <laughs> this is like a Kurosawa film. Or, or more specifically, a samurai film, because it is important to note that Kurosawa was not the only person making films about samurai in Japan. Yeah, so they are not the same thing, although he is, right, the the titular direct, the creator, right, that people talk about. But, yeah, like, it's like, um, you know, Clint Eastwood wasn't the only leading man in Westerns, right, you know? It's like, yeah, he's the most famous one and he like kind of or John Wayne, you know, they kind of made it what it is. But like there were other actors who were very involved. So in theme, uh, sorry, in structure, Samurai Jack is very reminiscent or very inspired by those things. There are also themes that appear in those movies that will that appear through Samurai Jack, both in terms of like the plots, but also um, just the way it's shot and the way that things are laid out in in art. But before like before getting to that, I think it just kind of like behooves everybody to, as always, spoiler alert, go watch the show. But the plot is actually like very, very, very simple. It's even summed up in the opening credits, right? There's an ancient samurai who fights a demon who has a magic sword and he's about to beat him and he's cast forward into the future and he has to fight through this dystopian future to try to get back to the past that's literally the whole plot of the show congratulations you know where each episode begins and ends and he never quite gets it the entire show is just kind of like edging <laughs> <laughs> I mean gross <laughs> it is it totally is though and it's one of those things where you always want him to succeed and it's not about the big plot it's about the little plot right each episode is like there's a problem he fights there's a solution but the solution is never what he wants it's never him getting back to the past it's always helping other people or having to make sacrifices for others over his own quest and that's pretty much it for four seasons he never goes back home he never succeeds he occasionally fights Aku but Aku is always afraid of Jack so he never it's an interesting villain dynamic because he's actively afraid of Jack and so he will never confront Jack directly unless he's sure he's incapacitated and then he's usually wrong. So the fifth season, which was the comeback, finishes out the story in a less episodic fashion. It's one whole arc. And 
Jack finds a way back to the past and kills Aku and the show ends. That's, that's, there are details, very important, sad details intermixed there, but that's the gist. So he wanders for a bit and then he succeeds and life goes on. But let's if, be clear. He wanders for like 60 years. Well, 50, explicitly 50. He wanders for 50 years. <laughs> That is true. We do learn that the the time travel shenanigans basically made him ageless. So during the course of Samurai Jack, the show, he's wandering for, for a long time, but he eventually manages to get back home and kill Aku. Like literally right from the moment he gets cast into the future, he comes back right at that moment and he finishes Aku off. It's actually funny because it's like they show Aku at that moment. He, like, throws him into the portal, and then, like, New Jack p- tumbles out of another portal, and Aku is like, what? You're back already? <laughs> Which is both true to like, how... Like, that's how time travel works, motherfucker! But also, it's not how time travel works. Um, well, it is and it's not, but... Well, that's time not... travel's fake, so time travel works however we want it to, right. honestly. yes, that's... Yes, I'm not gonna get into it, but, um... He he succeeds. Congratulations. You know how it ends. Now, I think as a kid, I was like, is he ever going to do it? Of, of course. Like, I feel like telling that story and him never going back and finishing it would be even darker than what actually happened. Yeah, but the, at the same time, like, it seems like I assumed that it had gotten canceled or something. Um and that's why it was left on sort of like a cliffhanger because he obviously doesn't get back in the first four seasons. But I tried to research it and I couldn't really find anything. It seems like it just came like they had contracted for a certain a run of a certain number of episodes and that contract came to an end and Gendy and the studio were both like, eh. And they just didn't keep making anymore and it wasn't until years later that he was like yeah okay like I'm ready to go back and like finish telling this story so there's like a degree to which it's like he almost did just like leave it like that to where Jack never got back well so I think that we discussed Paige and I discussed how it's important to note that the end of 2005 2006 right that's when that transitional period started to happen for Cartoon Network that's when they kind of started to stagnate and where they then eventually began kind of like the transformation that would lead to Flapjack and everything that followed. And apparently Tartakovsky has said that they were coming to the end of the fourth season and they were talking about whether or not they were going to finish it. And they saw that the network was going through a lot of transitions, a.k.a. people were leaving slash getting fired Uh, And they were, of course, maybe changing their creative direction. And it kind of seems like he got spooked that he wouldn't it would be rushed if he tried to finish it. So he basically said, no, we're not going to do it. And then he went right into Clone Wars. (laughs) So um, there wasn't really like there wasn't really time to consider finishing it with all the shit going on. Gotcha. 
Okay, yeah, I wasn't able to, like, you found better information than I did. I was having a hard time finding good information on it. I will say, like, I would like to note, because of Clone Wars, um, when you watch Samurai Jack visually, particularly in urban settings, it's very obvious why uh, Jenny Tartar Sauce was pegged to do Clone Wars. Because literally you're looking at these like urban settings and you're like, oh, this looks like Star Wars. <laughs> like it's like he like he just had like such a strong visual like handle on that in his own shows. It's just like it's kind of like who else would you pick? Yeah, I mean, at the time, I mean, and if you go look, watch his Clone Wars series, it's good. It I I it was enjoyable. It's. Like, I've never watched it, but I've heard good things. I mean, all the up epi- it's super short. Like all the episodes are like fucking three to five minutes. So it's not Jesus. Yeah, it, it was tiny. It, it, it definitely felt more promotional than it did like a full project. Gotcha. But yeah, so so it just didn't get finished. And then it is a fucking masterpiece. So people continued to want an end. And they eventually got to do it vis-a-vis Adult Swim, which is where it should be, by the way. Um, So let's talk a little bit about this show and how fucking weird it is. (laughs) And weird, it's weird in a good way, okay? And this will go, like, this conversation includes, like, how it's shot and the way it's designed and why uh, I continue to not understand how it got four seasons and how it ran when it did. Okay. Um, yeah. So Samurai Jack is a show, right, with this recurring plot. But the way that it is structured, incredibly visual, sparse dialogue, great choreography but also super contemplative in the way that it's paced. It's fucking weird because it is so different than anything that was on Cartoon Network or any other show at the time. And it's meditative. It's super nature oriented, like a, like a lot of work clearly went into the backgrounds and to um, just the setting of vignettes that are very reminiscent of like a focus on the environment and like Eastern storytelling, but not Western storytelling. So that yeah, beautiful, but super weird. Yeah. So the backgrounds I think are really noteworthy because there are these like beautifully lovingly rendered sort of uh watercolor backgrounds and i brought this up to chris and chris and i talked it through and i brought it up to my sister who went to art school about how there is something that is mismatched between the backgrounds and the uh characters like the figures and I was having a really hard time figuring out they were mismatched somehow. And I didn't really like I couldn't really figure it out. Um, and Chris made this suggestion and I talked it through with my sister. And ultimately, like we agreed that that was the case. It's that the 
backgrounds are a sort of like stylized, like hyper stylized sort of watercolor background. And the um, the figures are sort of very traditional Western animation that makes them pop out in a way that looks similar to paper crafts, which is also a traditional Japanese art form and or reminiscent of kabuki in that it looks almost as though they are actors on stage in front of a painted backdrop and it creates a really really interesting effect it's honestly stunning it is i couldn't appreciate it as a child i think while going back as an adult i looked at it and i and i I remembered that it looked good, right? I didn't ever think it looked bad, but I, 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 when I was, when we were talking about doing the show, I was like, well, it's going to be, you know, it's going to look good, but there are scenes where I thought this is good enough to be on TV right now. So beautiful. It, and you know, I think to some extent, like modern, there are a variety of modern television shows that have done great background work. Like I think, Steven Universe has got some really beautiful art, some very beautiful backgrounds, but yes, that wasn't something that I really thought about in, you know, 2001 to 2005 that was here. So that a lot of this is good, but weird, (laughs) right? So good, good backgrounds. The choreography was amazing. Very high quality. Very, very high quality. And that's something that to me, like, that's very important to me, both in the media that I watch and even in the books I read, because I've historically read a lot of high fantasy that involves a lot of battles. When there is a creator, whether it be a a writer or an animator or a, you know, live action director who I can tell, like, they really know, they really sat down and thought about the geography and the geometry of this fight and they knew where everybody was at every moment and how they were going to move and how that all fit together it's just like one of the most beautiful things that you can execute in any form of art whether it be visual or or written because it is like a, a like a symphony it's like a dance Whereas when, like, people kind of write it off and think of it as, like, you know, less important, it really shows because you're like, I don't know what's going on in this scene. And I think, like, a really good set of examples is if we go all the way back to the first season of our podcast, we watched Batman the Animated Series, and that had incredible choreography. But we specifically noted when we watched Gargoyles that even though it was a great show, the fight choreography was terrible. And they were allowing the fact that the scenes were dark to paper over a lot of uh, issues with that. This I didn't know it at the time, but this was one of the reasons that I was really drawn to anime over like Western, especially like comic book shows was like a lot of the choreography of those comic book shows are is like bad <laughs> and anime has always been way ahead of the curve on that as 
and not every anime, obviously, but like a lot of them have really good choreography that was animated very well. And um, that makes a huge difference for like evoking excitement in me. So to see like the fights in this show are so different than what you would have seen on Western animation at the time. The only thing that came after it that was close was Avatar, was the stuff that you see in Avatar. And the fights in Samurai Jack last a long time. And there are some that are like a whole episode long. And never in that entire stream do you feel like, oh, is this still going? That's that's how you know that a fight isn't just a fight. The way it's being shot, the music, the colors that are being used, the foley work, like all of it. If you can watch a fight that lasts 15 minutes, it's a good fight. Yeah, plus they also do a lot of incredible stuff um, that you don't normally, like types of shots you don't normally see replicated in animation. Like they really use a lot of letterbox shots, but it never feels tired. I'm always like, yeah, letterbox. (laughs) This looks awesome. Tell me, what is a letterbox shot? Because I don't know that. When it gets narrow and wide and it's like a slit in the middle of the screen. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's like you're looking in through the slit and a letterbox. Oh. A mailbox. That makes sense. (laughs) Um, What helps? What helps is that every fight is unique. Okay. That's, that's super important. Like every fight is super unique, despite the fact that like Jack is a samurai. So he only has so many ways of fighting with a sword available to him but mm-hmm. he they they force him to fight in like hand to hand without a sword with a bow barefoot stealth combat there's like all yeah. of this stuff that he's been trained to do and every fight addresses a skill or a conflict that isn't really revisited in the same way again which helps keep it fresh it's really cool because it's like even in the in the premiere jack has a series of like 10 teachers you know, he he learns navigation from a Japanese guy and then he goes to uh, the Arabian Peninsula and learns like horsecraft. And then he learns um, polearm combat from uh, people in sub-Saharan Africa. It's not clear, like maybe Sudan. Um, and he goes to fucking like England and learns archery from Robin Hood and he learns Kung Fu from the Shaolin monks. So he is a like, he's an incredibly well-rounded warrior. Uh, he, there's this striking episode where there, there are episodes that I will like go back and watch again for sure. One of them is an episode where he fights a, a shinobi and the way that that episode addresses combat in shadow is astounding. Like it it's won, so good. It, it won an Emmy. Like it won an Emmy. Really? Yes. Yeah. That episode is one of the episodes of the show that won an Emmy, and it it gives me shivers because that episode is so good. And there's yeah. no dialogue in that show. In that episode, there's no dialogue. Yeah. Um, yeah there's like 
one moment where he was like, you were trained to use the shadow, but like I was trained to use the light or whatever. And he like becomes like a like a like a white ninja, basically, <laughs> you know, who uses like sunlight to disappear. It's incredible. It's so good. The another aspect to the fights that also stems from what I would consider to be like Japanese film uh, influence is the role the environment plays in yes. the scene in the story because that's one of that's one thing that's noted in like Kurosawa's films or other Japanese films or just uh, like Japanese thought about nature is that the environment is kind of like a character. The environment deserves attention and plays roles and the way that it influences the story or the people in it are very important. And I remember that episode in the fifth season where Jack is fighting the daughters of Aku in the snow. Oh, it's so good. I was going to bring that one up too. And it's, it's crazy it's, because... It's, it's a callback to the ninja episode. Yes. But also it's its own thing. And the way the environment plays in that combat is critical. And it, it, it happens in a way that I just don't see very often. And it, it it's, it's fascinating because it's like, like, it's like I said earlier, like when people don't have their choreography down, it shows because you don't know what's going on. But that scene shows that actually that if you have your choreography perfect, you can intentionally disorient the viewer in a way that is incredible. Because, like, all of a sudden, everything's white, and I'm like, oh, it's stylized. Oh, wow, this is so disorienting. But then all of a sudden, like, Jack's running up a slope, and I'm like, wait, what the fuck? I thought this was, like, sort of, like, stylized. And then suddenly, you can see the trees again. You're like, oh, my God, it was all just snow the whole time. What the fuck? (laughs) um, And the, like, like, something that's really important about season five is that there's blood now. Um, and so like they, there is blood in that scene and like the red against the white is very striking. So, okay. So let's, let's revisit that because you, if for some reason you haven't watched it and you're being spoiled, um, you don't, you may not know this, but in the first four seasons, any dismemberment that occurs by Jack is to a robot or a cybernetic character. And this is very interesting yes. because it it doesn't make sense if you look at what he's fighting because what he's fighting is almost impossible to believe that it's not organic. Some Just, of it is clearly robots, but some of it it's like like the trolls in season 4. It's like okay, but that looks th- like why would those be robots? And it the answer is very simple it's not satisfying but it is very simple censorship <laughs> yes it's very clear from very early in the show if you are an adult and understand how censorship works that they just made all of the things that get beat up robots so they could do graphic violence and get past the censors and it's also very clear because they like There are scenes where they go out of their way to make the interior circuitry of robots look like innards. 
and for like you know oil or lubricant to look just like blood it's just that they colored it blue and green and not like red you know in the second episode when jack is fighting the beetle robots for the first time there are slow-mo gratuitous shots of him cutting a robot in half and it's spraying viscous oil on him like blood yes yes it, it and as the like obviously those beetles look like robots and that you're like okay cool this is a robot and and they're just doing this to accentuate the brutality of what jack is doing but later on as he starts fighting creatures you're like no this is a fucking person yeah but sensors are dumb and they're doing it in a way that allows the sensor to be happy while still showing what they wanted to show. But in the fifth season, they don't have to give a fuck about any of that. He can start actually killing people. And he it's funny because they he kills a person, a real person for the first time in 50 years. And it causes, in his whole life. It causes him to experience a crisis and mm-hmm. it's an interesting it's interesting to me that they really committed to like despite the fact that this was clearly for censors they integrated it internally to make it consistent and i think it also allowed them to like really um you know hold up a mirror to that kind of censorship right uh because you know there's a moment like jack has a lot of conversations with like manifestations of his and his psyche uh in season five and you know he talks about like oh just nuts and bolts just nuts and bolts right and then and he's he is slaughtered untold numbers of robots right millions probably but the second he you know slits the throat of this woman and he sees a line of red blood he like loses it and experiences this huge crisis because even though he's like the greatest warrior to ever live he's literally never killed a person in his life and i think that they're kind of making a point of like so like what is really so different about the kind of graphic violence that we portrayed in the original run but we said oh they're robots and we didn't color anything red and the kind of graphic violence we're portraying here, except for we do color it red. Like, what's really different about it, right? And what's really interesting about that is that that difference is clearly accentuated when you watch episodes. So there's there's an episode of the original run that is very Kurosawa-inspired, clearly inspired by, like, samurai versus assassin-type movies where, like, a, a samurai or a group of samurai have to hold out against trained assassins or, or shinobi and Jack has to fight these adamantium assassins. And that the intro to that episode has like a town of robot civilians being destroyed. Oh my God. And like a dying robot tells Jack about how these advanced assassin robots committed genocide against their city and it shows you graphically like a robot creating like an energy blast and like 
robots disintegrating as if disintegrated from like a nuclear explosion and it's all mm -hmm. very great like it's all very graphic and laid out as to what is happening but you're like it, it, they want you to go oh this is robots it's fine but in but as an adult i'm like no this is still this is still traumatic <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, in that same episode, he goes to, like, three different cities that are populated by little robot civilians that have been, like, genocided by these assassins. And there's one where it shows a graphic flashback of, like, a whole little robot family and little robot children having their skulls, like, rendered in. And it's really upsetting. It's really, really upsetting. You're like, these are robot civilians. They're little people. I think to some extent that comparison now, uh, even then, even in the early 2000s, people were talking about AI and yeah. the idea of the personhood of a, of, a, of a sapient program. And if you have... I think it's also worth noting that like it's worth noting that all of the little robots that got like genocided in that episode they found like just like the perfect point on the um you know curve like before the uncanny valley to like they all look like wally -E. they're all the exact type of robot that makes us go oh my god oh i love it you know but if you think about these things and this is the problem with this show like the censorship mirror that that is being held up is well, if you assume these things can feel pain or fear, then really, what's the difference? But exactly. you're, you're, you're like what you're considering a person versus not a person is very like very anthrocentric and is stupid. It's dumb, but <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So that the, the showing of blood and they really like start killing in the fifth season, like old allies just kind of get killed by Aku. Um, heartbreaking. It was fucking heartbreaking when the Scotsman got killed, but he came back as a ghost. So that was cool. I Celtic magic. John, <laughs> John Joe DiMaggio does a good Scottish. John DiMaggio. Uh, Joe DiMaggio was a baseball player. John. <laughs> so he's married to Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> Um, he does, he does the Scotsman. The Scotsman's really like the only long-term friend that Jack has for a while. Cause mm -hmm. he's like another warrior with a magic sword running around and doing things with Aku. But yeah, old characters start kind of just like actually dying in the fifth season. And it really lends a lot of pathos to what otherwise has kind of been a, a show trapped in amber. Absolutely. I think it's like, there's this really incredible sequence in season five where, so a critical part of the first half of season five is that Jack has lost the sword. He's lost the magic sword and he goes back physically to the place that he lost it and it's not there, so he's like, oh, this is like a spiritual issue. So he sits down to meditate, and he enters this, like, interesting mindscape. And in his mindscape, he is in, like, a tea house, right? A traditional Japanese tea house. 
and he sits down on the floor across from a monk and he performs a tea ceremony. And the tea ceremony is very specific. It's very precise. It has very, like a lot of rules about the movements and the tools and what you do. And it is very quiet and it is very meditative. Um, but simultaneously, an entire army, a massive army, is approaching the place where he is. And they're climbing up this mountain. And his companion, who he is with, Ashi, needs to prevent them from killing him. And she is an equally powerful warrior to Jack. So we, she single-handedly slaughters this entire army. So there is a sequence where we are flashing back and forth, intercutting this, like, very quiet tea ceremony with this woman just, like, slaughtering, like, tens of thousands of people. A whole army. That scene is awesome. It's great. I also think, um, so specifically, um, there is, so a tea ceremony traditionally involves a specific cloth that you use to, like, wipe down all of the implements. And, uh, the name of that cloth is actually, um, was it Ch Chajin? Chagin? Uh, Chakin is what it is. And it is always white. That cloth is white. It's explicit. It's specific. It's a white cloth. But the one that Jack has is red. And I just think that the fact that, like, they chose to... In a scene that otherwise is very, like, accurate about all of the tools that are part of the ceremony and, like, the motions and the steps of it, that they chose to make that deviation in a scene where also it's intercut with all of this, like, blood and violence is, like, very intentional and, like, it's a detail that I just, like, really love. I think that that goes to, like, the show is so deliberate with yes. what it does and the way in which something is artistically done. And that mm -hmm. sort of attention to detail is, is so wonderful to see in a show that also, I think one thing that that feeds into is my belief that this show is a paragon of show not tell and that yes. storytelling is not just about plot. Yes. Storytelling yes. is more than just a sequence of events that happen in a surprising way. Because when you think about things or a lot of shows that people consider to be the plot, like the show is really well written a lot of times the way that they're thinking about is surprising events and how they unfold or how characters are written. And mm -hmm. the way you do that is by people talking and by showing events happening in certain ways. But this show has a very simple plot, but each episode as a story is so much about the art and the way that people move 
and the actions that people take and how they are visually represented in, in, in a way that just like I don't see very often outside of something like gra- graphic novels do this really well because they have to. Yes. Um, because in a graphic novel, you only have so much space for dialogue and the best pages in a graphic novel, in my experience, are those big full page shots with no dialogue and just like a bunch of. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Samurai Jack does that in this animated medium and it's it's a different kind of story, but it's so deep. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because even though it is absolutely an American product made by a Russian American, um, it has a distinctly Japanese or at least Eastern flavor to it that I I think that like the influences on it go much farther than the sort of obvious structure of the plot or the way that you know um like scenes are drawn or the fact that the character is a samurai like I think that the influences of Japanese cinema go very deep for uh, Mr. Tartatos to the point where it affects his understanding of storytelling on a really fundamental level and that he really tries to bring that sort of attitude to creating a piece of film to to his work uh, in a way that you don't usually see from uh, Western creators. How it stayed on for four seasons is a miracle. Yeah, it's not like so it's not like something like regular show where we say like, oh, is this really for children? Because it's really racy in a way that's so obvious. You're like, oh, is this really going over their heads? And it's not like, how is this for children in the way the last season of Infinity Train was? And then I'm like, oh, the emotional themes of this are so, like, weird and specific that I don't understand how a child could relate to them. It's that I'm just like, I just don't know. I know that it was really popular with children, but as as a 30-year-old looking back, I'm like, I just don't really know how this would be, like, entertaining to a child. It's just so, like, an elementary school age child. Like, like you know, it's just sort of like... <sighs> So, like, sort of slow and contemplative. Um, And there's less fighting than you would think. Like, there's a lot of fighting, but there are some episodes where there's no fighting, (laughs) you know? Um, And it's just like, I just don't know. I'm like, I don't know. Is this really, like, would this be entertaining to, like, a nine-year-old? I, I, like, I don't know. Maybe I should ask a nine-year-old. Yeah, and, like, especially, like, in the fifth season, which was clearly made for adults, but, like, Aku has an existential crisis where he's, like, experiencing the ennui of an unchanging existence as this... Mm -hmm. He's giving therapy to himself as himself. It's so (laughs) funny. He's like, I don't know if I can deal with the fact that he'll be around forever. So, I, I think... 
I'm glad that it exists. <laughs> I just, despite all the odds, it, it definitely feels like something I wish I was talking about in like the Renaissance period. Cause it's definitely a Renaissance property, despite not being one right. Chronologically. Yeah. I think it's really worth noting. Like, like Samurai Jack is something that points out the fact that like Renaissance means rebirth. Right. The Italian Renaissance was the idea of like it was a rebirth of the cultural flowering that was associated with antiquity. Right. So you can't have a rebirth if there wasn't anything good before it. Right. So when we talk about the animation Renaissance, it's a Renaissance because there was a period there was a fallow period where things weren't good. But before that, there was stuff that was good. Right. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I and. Go go watch it. Definitely make sure that you have time to to do it. I there is so much more that I could ostensibly talk about, but I think one thing, the last thing that I'll say about it is that it's sad. Really sad. And in fact, that leads me into a point that I want to make because we I think we have another another 10 minutes in us. Is Jack Doctor Who? <laughs> is Samurai is Samurai Jack in many ways, both the character and the show, Doctor Who? Well, he does time travel. He does experience an out of placeness that nobody else truly understands. He does have to sacrifice the person he loves to fix a timeline related problem. He travels with companions, but they never stay with him for long. Mm -hmm. If you line those up enough, right? I guess the question is, does he love somebody who through timey-wimey bullshit comes to have never have existed? The answer is also yes. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's... Um, and also, like, on a fundamental emotional level uh, about, like, the Doctor Who revival, I don't think it was as much of a thing in the original run. So in many ways, you could say, you know, Samurai Jack created this and that Doctor Who is Samurai Jack and not the other way around. Um, but the idea is that, like... There is one man who is unwaveringly good and he will always sacrifice himself for the good of everyone else. And through the untold sacrifice of this one man, everyone who ever was or is or ever will be is spared from a horrific fate and in such a way that no one can ever truly know or understand his sacrifice and that he must inherently be truly, truly in a way that no one else can possibly ever be, be alone. Right. You know, because yeah. let's make it clear. The end of the show is he kills Aku. So none of his adventures technically ever happen. All of those people never exist in that form. Um, Ashi, the woman he falls in love with, is never born. All of this stuff. The whole show. That's like, it's such a devastating way to end it because the whole show basically doesn't happen. 
Like phenomenologically to Jack, it does happen, right? Subjectively, his experience and his memories continue to exist. But like ontologically, they don't happen. Yeah, it's like he is the oldest man. He he will by the end of his life because he's already like 75 years old by the time the show wraps up. Right. He will. And we assume that he begins. He regains the ability to age. But like that's not, you know, certain. But like so even if he does regain the ability to age, he will be the oldest man to ever live. Right. He won't die until he's like 150 years old. And he will have a set of experience experiences that necessarily there is no one else who currently exists or whoever will exist that can possibly understand those experiences. There is no one who exists or whoever will exist who can remember the things that happened to him, right? All of his friends and his most important relationships have never existed and will never exist now. He is alone in a way that is like so fundamental as to be impossible for anyone else to even comprehend. It's truly devastating. And so fucking sad. I, I felt in a way when it ended, I knew that it was going to end sadly because at the very beginning of the show, I clocked that if... If he does what he does, none of this will happen. And the longer this goes on, the worse that will be. But mm -hmm. I think just to wrap it all up in a nice bow to, again, show how Mr. Tartar Sauce, very influenced by the the Japanese cinema, the a lot of the samurai films, especially like Kurosawa stuff, are set in, like, I believe the Edo period up to the Meiji Restoration when all of the samurai were either becoming like ronin because the that caste system was starting to kind of fall apart or be done away with and then of course into the meiji restoration which completely eliminated all of that stuff right the feeling of those people in those movies is one of being like a person detached from a system of living that defined your life and your cast for generations and how people are moving on into the future right the country is supposedly moving on into the future but you feel left behind right you feel like there's not a place for you that um basically the world has no need of this kind of person anymore and the like the code that you supposedly lived your life for i think that that too would evoke a different sense of time, like a being out of time and nobody really being able to understand you anymore. So I think that that kind of ending is completely appropriate for Samurai Jack because that is an ending that has historically been appropriate for the kind of warrior that he represents. Definitely. I will say, like, I highly recommend watching it. Um... It's on HBO, like, so, it, like, well, it's called Max now. So if you have Max, it's available to stream there for no additional cost. Um, I would really like to stress, though, if you are a parent and your children are watching the show without you, try and keep track of, like, where they're at in the show, because when they finish season four, season five will autoplay 
and it is not appropriate for them. Like, unless your child is a teenager, they should not be watching season five. So just like, like keep an eye on that. Also, low key, you should buy this show before HBO Max, just Max now, decides to fucking get rid of it. Just makes it go away for fucking ever. Because they they they're taking Steven Universe off their platform. They took Infinity Train off their platform. They're uh they're taking uh or they did take something else off. Like they're just like removing. They took all of JG Quintel's pro- like programming off of their. They went to all this effort to fucking, like, not only create original programming, but to buy Cartoon Network's entire catalog, and now they're just making it all disappear because they don't want to pay people their residuals. Yeah, so, Max fucking sucks. Just gonna say it. That's my opinion. And they are really threatening to show us the follies of not having physical media. So... You know, maybe buy or acquire these properties now, you know? Yeah, and also, like, consider before we move to streaming and a model where no one owns anything, people were voicing their concerns about um, the concept of digital ownership because the thing is, is that, like, you know, like... like let's use the express like like if i go if i go onto amazon prime and i buy samurai jack digitally and i then own that if amazon ever loses the rights to sell that it all of a sudden goes away and i don't own it anymore Right. And so with all of these like streaming services what they're doing is they're deciding that they don't want to provide any of these anymore because they don't want to pay the people who made them. And so it's cheaper for them to just make them go away. And so given how digital ownership works with its rights, like who's today to say they can't one day decide like, oh, we don't want to like make this available for sale anymore either. And the way that we're going to make it not available for digital sale will also just make it disappear from everybody's like accounts who bought it too like we just don't know we just don't know what they're gonna do going forward so if you can find fucking dvd like i think we're just gonna all have to go back to uh to dvds and find a way to watch dvds on our tvs that have no ability to watch dvds on them (laughs) and i'll i'll go on fucking ebay and try and buy dvds of these shows you know or alternatives yes (laughs) so um that that's just a warning that you mm-hmm. if you want to watch it you probably should watch it soon or find a way to get a hold of it otherwise because yep. HBO Max Max sucks. Yep, and by the way, like I don't don't think for a minute that all the other streaming services are not going to start following suit cuz they definitely are. Yep, 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 yep. So on mm-hmm. that wonderfully beautiful <laughs> ending note I just want to say it's been good to be back. This episode's a little longer than usual because we haven't been doing this for a while. So uh, we will we are excited because over the next two weeks we will be releasing uh, or two to three weeks. We'll be releasing even more content for those of you who are our Patreon supporters. We are planning on releasing 
a recording based on our watch of Princess Mononoke, the Miyazaki film. And that'll be available just to our Patreon supporters there uh, for a while. And then we will be moving on to our next show pretty quick. We're doing a, f- a very, very different show compared Alec to <laughs> Samurai Jack. We're watching Johnny Bravo. <laughs> Um, but it'll be a quick watch for us because, yeah. yeah, and so we'll be able, we should be able to get to our next episode in a pretty timely fashion. So we're trying to make up for lost time here. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, so hopefully we can give you guys like, uh, a few things to, to, you know, uh, snack on, um, really rapidly here be- before inevitably life gets back in the way and we you know, have a longer gap than we'd like to have, right? Again. <laughs> yeah, I go back to school at the end of this month, so that's that's fun. We're in we're officially in what my colleague is calling job hospice. So <laughs> um <laughs> that that's gonna be my life. So I hope to use cartoons as a way to de stress, but we'll see. So uh, I've had yeah. a lot of fun today. Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah. Uh, Alrighty. Well, like, I, I really appreciate you guys being patient with us and listening. Um, as always, if you would like to find us on social media where we do, you know, periodically post updates on what the hell is going on. We are Animates Podcast on Facebook. We are at Animates on Twitter and we can be emailed. Uh, the email address is Animates at gmail.com with a numeral eight instead of the letters A-T. We love to hear from people. We almost never hear from people, but we love to hear from you. Um, If you enjoy our show, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, as that will help other people who might be interested find it. And if you, like, really, really love it a lot and you want to get, you know, our sporadic bonus content early, uh, consider throwing us a couple of dollars on Patreon. It helps us to cover the basic costs of making this show. Um, but as always, thank you so much for listening. I have been Paige. And I have been Chris. And this has been Animates.